seated. King Jesus will return and everything's going to be made new. And all of the pain, the sorrow, the death, the evil will all be put behind. Please take your Bible, turn to Titus chapter 1. This morning, having appointed Zach McGuire as an elder of Christ C.C., our text this morning is going to be Titus chapter 1, verse 5 through 9. Scripture says this, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we move through your said criteria for the office of an elder, we pray that you will nurture here at Christ Community Church both now and in the years to come men who Follow the criteria. Men who, to desire to uphold the gospel, that love their wives, that love their children, that love the church, that love those who are without. Teach us, Lord, to follow Jesus. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Just 20 years ago, we moved to the church government of Elder Rule based upon a conviction that Elder Rule was biblical sound doctrine. 20 years ago, as we went through that process, it was taught, we were taught through eldership in the New Testament, and while this morning, um, we're not going to set a defense for the biblical eldership. We, that's already finished and complete. It's something we believe, but I think it's important that we touch on uh, how the, the Bible describes what we believe to be the biblical form that God ordained, which is elder rule. And so, to begin this sermon this morning, I want you to follow along with me. I want to touch on a lot of these passages just briefly, but I think it's important we see them to build a context to what we're 
going to be moving through in, in Titus. Turn back with me to Acts chapter 14. And so what I'm going to do, and I'll give some time as we move through all of the passages, I just think, and you'll make notes to these, um, if you like, you those who are note takers, I know a bunch of you like to do that. The first one we're going to look at is Acts chapter 14, verse, Acts is not Luke, <laughs> Acts chapter 14. Verse 23 will be the first one. And when they had appointed elders, plural, for them in every church, singular, with prayer and fasting, they committed to them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Turn to chapter 20 of Acts. In doing this, if the first difficult problem that the church ever had is found throughout the entire chapter of, uh, or nearly the entire chapter of Acts, chapter 15. It was to settle the issue that had from Judaizers who had attacked the gospel. And is it necessary that one um, obey the law of Moses and trust in Christ to be saved? God, out of that counsel, I think it's very important for us, though they're be not apostles today, because to be an apostle, you had to visibly see Jesus resurrected after he rose from the dead, and you would have had to have been commissioned by Jesus in the gospel ministry, things that we look at in Matthew chapter 28. Um, he calls the apostles and he calls the elders to at that time, which was the singular church at Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 20, you look with me uh, to verse 17. It says, Now Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders, plural, of the church singular to come to him. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Once again, overseers uh, is, is plural. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul's dealing with an issue that arose between, at this point as he's closing and giving basically snippets of instruction, there was an issue that had come up between the elders and the people in the church and giving instruction to this, he gives a specific instruction in verse 12, 12 and 13. We ask you brothers, brothers here would be in the church, 
to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. That would be the elders. And to esteem them, plural, not him. To esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. And of course, there should be a harmonious relationship between the elders and the church because what we're doing here has eternal value. It's important. As much as everything that's in your life and your work, and those things are important, God calls work for vocation, they are essential. There is nothing more essential. It doesn't matter if you're in ministry full-time as an occupation or if you're called to be an elder of the church. They're involved in an intrinsically good work. If you would look at Hebrews chapter 13, don't turn there, but let's go to 1 Peter. I just want to mention this though, because I'll give you the, the citation for that sake, so that you know it's listed there again. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17, which would have been basically dealing with the elders at Rome, it says to obey them who have the rule over you. Those terminology is always used for the sake of the dynamic, those who are giving spiritual oversight. He says, obey them, plural, once again. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Now I exhort the elders, plural, among you as a fellow elder. Peter was not only an apostle, he was an elder, a pastor, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is be, to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And again, there's instruction there to our to the elders, plural. Let's go back to the text. Titus 1, 5 through 9. So what you see when you're looking at Scripture, given the context of the New Testament, you'll, you'll see synonymous terms. Uh, pastor, elder, shepherd, overseer. The King James will use the term bishop sometimes for overseer, and I honestly don't think that's a good translation because the word bishop I think was put in there to invoke power. And while the office of elder and elder board is, is, is important, it's a, it's a position of authority, the idea was never for power. Rather, that pastors and elders would protect and lead and love the flock over against the world's perception of what power was, certainly at the time of King James. And I would submit to you, this is very challenging in American society, where you see a lot of the language that churches used are really the language of the world in corporate settings. People say, well, I don't need to be called a deacon, male or female, or I don't need to be called an elder. Churches are flocking to use the term 
coach and whatnot. I really believe it's to weaken what the Bible actually says. The church has become offended by the language of the Bible. And from it, we've lost its government, which basically came up of the early church, where churches met in homes. We know they really didn't get into the buildings until the middle 300s. Um, and church government was attacked. Now, I would not consider, we would not consider even as an elder board, we've talked about this, um, that elder rule is a tier one issue being a governmental church polity. There's certainly wonderful churches that believe in elder-led churches or congregational rules and these types of things. And God works, let's be honest, through all of our mess. But I do think it's very important. I think this is a very important issue. And it's easy, like a lot of other things in the world you live in, to where the world begins to squeeze on us. And we lose sight of things. So when, when the Bible is using terms like pastor, elder, overseer, shepherd, it really just represents different functions according to the context that is given. And let me give you three simple things before we kind of dive into the text. It is, it is most important and most essential that when anyone in the church is viewing those who would be a part of the elder board, it must be clearly that you see that they love Jesus, that they love the gospel, and that they love the church. Those are very simple things, but man, they are essential. A man without passion for Jesus, the church weakens. Dads, without your passion for Jesus, your home will weaken. Too many men become cold and indifferent toward the things that are important to God. We're seeking the heart of God, not only on church government, but for every right avenue of our being. There's nothing that's going on in the life of any child of God. Nothing that's not coming from Christ's sovereign hand for your good. And it's very essential that all of us analyze that. And it does not stop till we die. Christ, because He loves us with this Hard to describe love. It goes beyond my capacity to put it into words. Pursues us. He pursues us to the end. As he, as he tells Joshua, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Even if you go away into avenues of sin, we pray that doesn't happen. And it might be even egregious sin. Christ will pursue you if you belong to Him. And so the office of elder is, is, is certainly an important office. It's a very important office. But the individual, those who do elder, should not see, though eldering is a great joy, their life in that. They should see their life hidden in Christ. That's their identity. 
I've even observed over the course of my lifetime and in being in occupational ministry, people who idolized the office of pastor and did not meet the criteria only to pursue their own desires and I would say lust over it. But Paul here gives some very needed instruction to both Titus, which is a pastoral epistle, and both to Timothy that Pastor Alex prayed from. And we enter into, and the list, they're a little more lengthy in, in Titus, or I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, they are the criteria. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are the criteria for the office of pastor. There is no other criteria. Where people try to offer this as being either archaic or culturally written are genuinely mistaken. And do not look at the order that God gives of creation in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says in verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete. Crete was an island of many cities. The Greek philosopher Homer called it the island of a hundred cities. So the church had been given birth there. It was growing and it was necessary that it needed proper leadership. But Paul didn't place leaders into it there because he had not yet identified those who would be called to elder or pastor there. The, the word that is, that is given there when he says in, in verse 5, so that you, he's, telling, he's giving this instruction to Titus to do this, might put what remained into order. It is the... It's the Greek word ortho, to which we get, obviously, orthodoxy or orthodontist. What does an orthodontist do? And that's what the word ortho means. It means to make straight. It's to mean, it means to make straight, to straighten things out. And what he's talking about there is biblical doctrine. We won't read it, but verse 10 through 16, Paul gives them the problem that's attacking the church in the churches too in Crete, that were a part of those, you know, however many cities that, that it was involved there on, on that island. Some things never change. The church, I believe, every one of God's church ever will constantly be attacked over error. We enjoy as Christians eternal security, but, you know, churches don't have that. Churches blow out. God uses them for seasons. They are handed into men's hands in the sense of this. They're the ones that are going to be accountable for it. And they are not to do new things, but to receive those things that have been passed down. That's why we hold to and read historical readings. We are trying to 
to, to receive the orthodoxy of biblical Christianity to hand it to the next generation. That's our charge. And so when he tells them to appoint elders here in verse 5, what he's saying is, I want you to ordain, I want you to appoint men who fashion their lives after, who meet the criteria of 1 Timothy 3 or Titus chapter 1, not that they will become that, but that the elders already at large could identify people who are in pursuit of those things and that match the characteristics that those things are used. Now, above reproach is used here. It's used twice here um, in Titus. It's used to open 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so here, here's what this is. Let's just give you a picture of this. Above reproach or blameless, is basically like an umbrella to the other characteristics. So above reproach or blameless is like the idea of which all of the categories of those things that fall under them, it helps us to give us a picture. And so, so those who would, who would meet the criteria, and of course as John Calvin said, no man fully meets the criteria. We all come to this in our suffering way. Even our greatest movements of faith on our own part is tainted with our own sin. We so underestimate sin. God help us to see sin like He sees it. Starting first in our own lives. But He says here, above reproach, and then the picture is this, if I could do this. Be like a guy climbing up a, a, a telephone pole and there's steps right on each of the areas. And each of those handles would be one of those uh, areas of criteria. And as he's climbing, he would step on one of those steps and it would fall apart. That would meet the definition of not meeting the criteria. In other words, he's a violent man. And when he's observed as an individual, you could easily see that where he steps on, his life falls apart because he clearly doesn't have that under control. That's the picture of what it means to be above reproach. Again, no man is perfect at it, but he is someone who, is, who understands he's a sinner and he's dealing with his sin as all of us in the church that belong to Jesus do. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 then, Paul tells Timothy there, which is consistent to Titus, to say this, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, and here's what this is, that aspiration is a Holy Spirit-driven compulsion. That's why elders are trying to identify what God is doing in people's lives rather than making their own elders with their own ideas that neglect 1 Timothy chapter 
3 or Titus chapter 1. And it's through these examinations, it, it gets determined that the one who desires to be an elder is genuinely a Holy Spirit compulsion over against a selfish ambition. A selfish ambition, really, very weirdly, would be a guy who desires power. And man, this has always been an issue. It's always been an issue. Satan desired power. He decided to overthrow. And so that's a very important thing. And that should be probed. That should be questioned. That should be asked of. Because that's the first determination that a man must come to grips with before it ever gets to the capacity of the church is does he desire that's driven by a God-driven compulsion by the Holy Spirit. And here's the, the main thing a pastor does. To preach and teach God's Word. Because those men who meet that aspiration correctly are driven by the power of the Holy Spirit and not out of selfish ambition. Because the task is beyond them. And they never will totally match up the criteria. And it's a very humbling thing because you're dealing with eternal matters. And that's why these things should be entered into soberly. And not, oh yeah, I guess I'll do it. But you don't have to call me an elder. Once we move past this, in this understanding, we, we come to verse 6, after he says, if anyone is above reproach. And what I want to do, I do want to touch on the categories. I mean, you could spend a lot of time on each of these, but I want to touch on them. As we, as we pull this along together. And so the, the, the first aspect is a home priority. Pastors have gone awry when they love even their joy or their power of pastoring over against their love for their wives. It's, it's pastoral idolatry. Driving and building big kingdoms. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I pray to God we would grow as many people who would come into here. That we would be able to give them the gospel and give them the, give them the word of God. There's nothing wrong with growth. There's healthy growth. But in, in, this, in this spot, the first place that God deals with is a home priority. He is the husband of one wife. Now quickly, let me give you this. This is potentially four categories. Does it mean no single men? Does it mean no polygamy? Because in Roman society, Roman rulers and philosophers of the day had not only multiple wives, they were even bisexual and doing many perverse things. Is it no unbiblical divorce, like as in adultery or desertion, which God gives grounds for biblical divorce in, in uh, adultery or desertion? And let me just say this, because this has been an unreal rise in our own culture. If a husband is beating his wife, 
It's desertion. Let's not be confused by that. Even under what we would believe to be complementarianism, and I, I believe that's an accurate view of what the Bible depicts, men have, under their own power and desire, have done barbaric things towards their, their wives. Beating your wife is desertion. Lastly, it just means some people to think it, it means only married once. And so without going into all of that discussion, I wanted to mention to you those four categories. If you have a study Bible, it probably pops up at such. But what the Greek idea means there is a one woman man. So even a guy who was, say, married only once, he cannot be a guy that is some weird, overtly flirtatious where everybody is around them going, wow, this guy's man. He's a man that is devoted to his wife as Jesus is devoted to his church. He has a singular heart for her. As that man's life is being analyzed, one of the clear pictures is how he is uh, adorning the gospel well is that you will look at his wife and do you see someone who is flourishing? Someone who walks upright. They may be introverted, but because she is loved well, she is flowering as a person, not cowering. It's a clear giveaway. The husband of one wife. Secondly, in this category, in Titus, it says in verse 6, and his children are, are believers to, um, two answers to this have been offered throughout my lifetime. I'm going to give them to you now. First would be as it's stated, uh, believing children that is, an elder must produce believing children, children who believe, children who um, love Jesus. Therefore, those who don't love Jesus, who have believed on Jesus, would not be qualified. Or the second category, which would be respectful children, which means as a husband and wife, particularly a pastor here, who are raising children, they have respectful children, they have Children who love them and obey their parents, though not necessarily that they are believers. What's tied to this here is he says they're not given to debauchery or insubordination. It's a, it's a profligate child, meaning they're wild. They're out of control. They're unruly. They live rebellious toward their parents and namely to their dad. Now, I, I think this, believers or faithful, as it's used in Timothy's epistle, in the Greek is used 67 times. 55 of those times, it is, a re, is a, it is a reference to faithful to a discharge. That is, you know, the guy who is an elder is, is, is uh, faithfully discharging and, and overseeing their own home so that their children, 1 Timothy 3, 4, 
are submissive children, it means their children may not have accepted Christ. They may leave the household lost. They may stay lost, which is horrifying. But, but nonetheless, growing up and under their parents' care, there wasn't a respect and there was a love for their parents. And they pursued them. Once that child leaves the household, or obviously it's a new nest as ordained by God. So there's a home priority, right, that's given to this. The second category is personal priorities. Personal priorities. Verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. Think he's not trying to make emphasis of this? I mean, that elder apostle Paul, I think he's straightening Titus up. Man, this is, we're not joking about this. We got people attacking the church of God. We need serious men. And here's how you're to identify him. And by the way, Titus, you might be deaf of hearing. I said above reproach. He says, he must not be arrogant. An elder must not be arrogant. It means he's self-willed. He's an overbearing dude. He only has self-interest. He only lives to please himself. He disregards other opinions. Though that's not going to work when he's on a plurality board of God-given giftedness of the Spirit and those things that God gave in being created in the image of God. He can't be arrogant because he will disregard God's will for his own desires. And the polar opposite of this, of what, of what Paul's describing to Titus, you can see in uh, um, 2 Peter chapter 2 when he's describing a false teacher. You ought to just look at the list. And, you know, evil, good. That's what it looks like. He's not arrogant. Secondly, he is not quick-tempered. Someone who is prone to anger. A guy who nourishes his anger. He's got a, he's got a short fuse. He's a, he's a walking time bomb in the sense that he is easily provoked. James 1, 19 and 20 deal with this. Thirdly, as it's given here, as personal priorities, he's not a drunkard. He is not a drunkard. Now, again, I just want to touch light on this because of our own 80-year history and at once going through errors of being teed Toddlers. I just I think it's important to share this so we because at the end of the day, no matter what we're doing as both Christians and certainly as elders, we are driven to look at what has God said. What is the heart of God? Alcohol is used in the Bible 40 times as a negative, 62 times as neutral and 145 times as positive. What Paul is addressing here 
to Titus as he did with Timothy is he's not characterized as a drunkard. He is not one who is drinking at all turns and through those drinking, he, he loses control. He becomes promiscuous or he gets mean. Those are typical two responses to those who are quote-unquote drunkards. But, but understand what this is, because I think it could go into other categories of other forms to, you know, to fall away from. What, is, what Paul, I think, is getting to is what controls his life. What controls his life. And, and getting drunk is that guy who seeks escape. So you're looking at a person when he's talking about not being a drunkard as someone who seeks escape rather than someone through no matter how difficult it gets. He doesn't seek escape from life. Rather, um, Ephesians 5.18, he pursues and he's, he's given to be controlled by the Holy Spirit over against being and leading this drunkard existence he's led by the Holy Spirit he loves Jesus over those things the next one is is violent the criteria is violent he's pugnacious dude's a fist fighter he's verbally quarreling all the time he'll physically fight and be proud of it it's what he talks about. Who he's beat up. He's the kind of guy who fights at the drop of a hat over against Paul's instruction to Timothy that the, the man of God must not be quarrelsome or, or to be a guy who's uh, he's to be gentle when he's dealing with people. Now, again, I, I don't want to get this wrong. That doesn't mean the man's effeminate. Or he's soft. You read Acts chapter 15, and Paul and Barnabas are engaged, engaged with a sharp contention. Why? Because they're fighting for the issues of the gospel and missionary work. I, I, just, I just think it's important to say that. Read the last chapter of the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah ain't playing with those guys who are perverting the covenant by marrying idolatrous women. But, but nonetheless, nonviolent is a guy who's, a, who's pugnacious and he's a fist fighter. Lastly, in this personal priorities, is he's a guy who's greedy. A guy who's greedy. He's someone who seeks wealth at any cost. He lacks honesty and integrity with his own money. He's known by people to be slippery for dishonest gain. 1 Timothy 6.10 says the love of money is the root of all evil. I mean, a guy could be rich. There are many people in the Bible that were rich. A person could be poor. The, the, the point is, and the poor person could be greedy and so can the rich person be greedy. This man is an honest man who works out of integrity for his money. He's not given to that 
pretty cool phrase in the King James, ill-gotten gain. He's greedy. Next category is, is people priorities. Verse 8, he is hospitable. You can see how all these mold together and work together. Hospitality is essential. He's a guy that, that's approachable. You can go to him. He's a practical helper, particularly to those who are in need. He's a good friend to friends, and he receives strangers. He's one who will open his home to believers and unbelievers alike. He is a guy that's given to show hospitality. He's someone who wants to engage people. That idiotic phrase of, man, the ministry would be great if it wasn't for people, that dude shouldn't be pastoring. Doesn't mean it doesn't get tiring and wearisome and things get stressful. But man, the man of God loves Jesus. He loves the gospel. And yes, he loves people. He loves people. As it goes on here, he is one who is a lover of good. He loves good things. His, the list that's given there in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, those are the things that are running through his mind. He loves to do good why? Because he knows that Christ is not only the head of his life and sovereignly under control of his life, but things are coming to his, into his life so that he would do good. And that he would do it primarily because Christ is his motivation for his relationships. He loves to do good. Bad company corrupts good morals. We're to be careful in our relationships. Our deepest and most important relationships should be Christians, even among a past family, blood family. If that blood family rejects Jesus, they're not in the eternal family. Doesn't mean you don't love them. Doesn't mean you don't pursue them. Because... The one who does good or wants to do good, he pursues people. He pursues people. He's a lover of good. Self-controlled is people priorities towards others. He lives sensibly. He's cool-headed. He thinks of his life in a sobering way. He avoids foolish relationships that are going to hinder him. He has a sober mind and sound to think about biblical doctrine. He's a guy in general that gets the big picture. He's self-controlled. He's guided by the Spirit. Upright. Simply means to do what is proper. To do what is fitting. His actions are fair. He seeks to do what is right. And he does so not because he's a respecter of persons. Why? Because he loves all people. Because all people are created in the image of God. And because they are created in the image of God, they bear value to us. He's holy. It means he's devout. He's focused to Jesus and the gospel. He's a guy who people recognize, man, this dude's got a divine direction. He's got pulls and he's following him. He's someone who seeks to genuinely obey God, disciplined. 
disciplined is given there. He's well-ordered. He's accountable to others because he's not self-willed. He seeks accountability because accountability will grow his life in the faith. That's true for all of Christianity. That's why all of Christians should be a part of a local assembly. We need to live accountable lives with one another. And the individual who does not want accountability, Christianity falls apart. He monitors his own life. He submits to God. Last category here in verse 9, let's look at this, are word priorities. Word priorities. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Three things, okay, to word priorities that is given here. Essential, must, criteria for the elder. He knows truth. He obeys truth. He teaches truth. He does all three of those things because he loves truth. So all of those flow out of his love for the truth. The separating category between office of elder and office of deacon for male deacons is able to teach. That able to teach, again, is a spirit-driven compulsion that that guy desires to teach. Not that he has to be in front of everybody. He loves to teach one-on-one. He loves to teach in small groups. He just loves to teach. It is a drive in him that is coming out of him. Why? Because he knows the word. He loves the truth. He obeys the truth. He understands the truth. He's a guy that's committed to sound doctrine, not for a moment, but for a pursuit all of the days of life. He knows the word. He knows the word, so he obeys the word. He holds firm, the Bible says there. It means to strongly adhere to the word of God. He clings to it for his very life to survive the world. That's why Peter said it acts. He calls on the world to get saved toward this perverse world. Men of God and the people in the church, man, we need the Word. We've got we to gotta hold to it firmly. We've got to cling to it as if we don't have it. We'll starve to death. I thank God for this place because you guys have been so faithful to listen for so many years. Teaches the Word. means He gives instruction. He rebukes those, meaning He can take the Word of God, give skillful application to it, to exhort believers and refute rejectors and garters, which obviously Titus and those others that would be appointed would do so in those churches in, in Crete. What's at stake here? What's at stake? The church is an organism. It's constantly moving. Nobody gets to the task and they've arrived. People can be in the office and lose the criteria and must walk away from the or must walk away from the, the office. What's at stake? The strength of the elder board and the health of the church depends upon obedience to God's blueprint. Jesus is the head of the church. 
And let me give you some wonderful things about that. Because he'll never leave us or forsake us. We can endure and go through any things. That's why the church across the globe is enduring such severe persecution that we may or may not know about. Their lives are threatened at stake because they're clinging to Jesus who is the head of the church. Because Jesus in 10, John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus is the true shepherd who goes and finds the lost sheep. And he saves them and he protects them and he keeps them. Because in 1 Peter 2.25, Jesus is the true overseer of our souls. All elders follow Jesus by giving our lives for His blood-bought church. Because Jesus, according to John 1, is the true pastor. He knows the Word because He is the Word. And then He gives us His Word to preach. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You that Jesus saved us. We thank You that Jesus protects us. We thank You that Jesus keeps us. We belong to Jesus because He has bought us by His own blood. We pray, Lord, this morning that You will nurture your, your people in that wonderful truth that it would comfort them and be the leading guide of their lives. Lord, for Christ Community Church Elder Board now, we pray that You will continue to, as You've gifted each man, that You will nurture in us that we might seek and find the mind of Christ for whatever lies ahead. Keep us faithful, God. We're not deceived to think we'll make it through this life of our own strength. According to Your Word and by, the, by Your power, Jesus, keep us on the way. So in the end, that all of us, when we face You, because we will face you, we'll hear the words, well done, you've been a good and faithful servant. Bless us now, your church, as we take the holy meal, the Eucharist. We pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Church, you may rise and go receive the elements.